Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question is, how can someone reason with somebody who is delusional? Now, I've heard this question a few times and different versions of this question. And I think sometimes the question is really talking about delusions, but I think sometimes what people mean is, how do I reason with somebody who's not being rational? So I'm going to look at different levels of delusions here so I can really answer kind of all the different types of questions, all the different ranges being expressed here, right? So just somebody who's being irrational all the way up to somebody who actually has a true delusion. So first let's define delusion, right? So a delusional belief is a belief that's maintained despite being contradicted by what is generally accepted to be a rational argument or reality. So we also see with delusions that no matter what evidence is presented, the individual is not gonna change their mind. That belief is not gonna change. So you could have a lot of strong evidence that's being repeated by a lot of people who are experts and it wouldn't make any difference. Now, one of the difficult parts about the question, how to reason with somebody who's delusional, is that when you're interacting with people, it'd be hard to know if they are delusional. That's really the realm of mental health counselors to figure out if somebody has true delusions going on or not. We do know that delusions fall on a continuum though, and I'll explain more about that in a moment, and that kind of covers more of a range here. But when we talk about a true delusion, a pathological delusion, it's really hard to figure this out from a brief interaction. There are alternative explanations to why somebody believes something other than them being delusional. For example, somebody could be misinformed. Somebody could just be illogical. Somebody could have a temporary bias based on strong emotions. So for example, if somebody's rejected by a romantic partner and they say, well, that person who rejected me is psychopathic, even though there's no evidence to support that. The reason they believe that, of course, could be that rejection, could be that it's an emotionally powerful topic. And we would expect that that belief would be temporary. Now, if the belief were not temporary and that person was rejected by more people, like say five or 10 people, and they said that all those people are psychopathic, well, that looks more like a delusion than just kind of an emotionally charged reaction to one situation. I think too, when considering whether something's delusion or not, 
it's important to keep in mind that the belief itself isn't necessarily really important. It's the reaction to contradictory evidence. So somebody may believe something, like they may be rejected and believe that person's psychopathic. Then they look at like the results of a mental health assessment and they say, oh, okay, I guess the person wasn't psychopathic after all. So it's really that reaction. Now, sometimes, of course, the beliefs are important and inherent in the belief, we can see that a delusion could be operating. But a lot of times, especially if we're talking about something, a belief that's not quite delusional, it's really the reaction to evidence to the contrary. So this kind of brings me to the idea of the levels of delusions, right? I mentioned before, delusions fall on a continuum. So if we're talking about pathological delusions, we're talking about delusions that we see with mental disorders like schizophrenia, delusional disorder. Delusions are sometimes present with major mood disorders, especially at the highs and lows. So like depression or bipolar disorder. So with bipolar disorder, if somebody's really depressed, they could be psychotic. And if they're really manic, they could be psychotic. But we wouldn't expect psychosis kind of in the middle range there. If somebody's mildly or moderately depressed, or if they're hypomanic, again, we wouldn't expect delusions or psychosis at that level. We see delusions sometimes also with substance use disorders, and there are a few other disorders as well that have psychosis and delusions associated with them. So I'm using the word delusion here, and I'm using the word psychosis here, just to clarify. Psychosis, that's a break from reality. We see both hallucinations and delusions potentially with psychosis. So hallucinations would be seeing or hearing something that other people can't see or hear. And again, delusions are that fixed false belief. So psychosis really covers both of those areas. Now, when we talk about the types of delusions, we see that in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, there's a good explanation of the types under the mental disorder, delusional disorder. We see a few mentioned here. Erotomanic, this is when somebody believes that somebody else is in love with them when it's clearly not true. And sometimes they believe that somebody famous is in love with them. We also see grandiose type. This is when somebody believes they have an insight, a talent, or ability that they just don't seem to have. Like they believe that they're a great writer, but there's no evidence that they're a great writer or a great singer, but again, no evidence. We see the jealous type, and this is almost always manifested through this belief that a spouse or romantic partner is cheating, right? Infidelity is really the core of this type of delusion, again, typically. We also see a persecutory type. This is when somebody believes they're being conspired against, like the CIA or the FBI is following them or monitoring them. This is really the most common type of delusion we see with delusional disorder, and this is also fairly common with schizophrenia. The last type I'll cover here is the somatic type, and we see that there are bodily sensations or functions involved with this type. So again, there are a number of different types of delusions with delusional disorder, and we also see a specifier with this disorder called with bizarre content. So this is when the content of the delusion is not derived from ordinary experiences. The example given the DSM is if somebody believes that all of their organs were removed by a stranger and replaced with other people's organs, right? But there's no scars, there's no evidence that that happened. Now this specifier with bizarre content can be used with any of the different types of delusions. So with looking at these types of delusions and delusional disorder, we see, of course, that we're talking about pathology here, psychopathology. So moving kind of down 
the line, down the continuum, toward less delusional behavior. We see this construct called subclinical delusional ideation. And we believe this is actually somewhat common. So this is when somebody has delusional beliefs, but they don't rise to the level of a mental disorder, like they're not part of a mental disorder, not pathological. So subclinical delusional ideation is characterized really by a lot of the same things we see with pathological delusions, like hyperreflexivity. This is when somebody has an excessive tendency to focus awareness on themselves. So they'll look at a situation and they'll somehow relate it to themselves, even when there's no real logical reason for doing that. So they might see like a riot taking place on like television, like in another country, people are rioting and they might say, well, this is because of me or this is going to affect me in some way. Or there's a conspiracy where this riot is going to somehow be bad for me. So hyperreflexivity is really just taking information around us and thinking, well, this must involve me somehow. We also see a reduced weighting of disconformatory information. So if you challenge somebody who has a subclinical delusional ideation, they're likely not going to look at the evidence which runs contradictory to their belief. We also see an increased weighting of confirmatory information. So if we're talking about like the jealous type, for example, now again, that's talking about a pathological delusion, but we can see kind of the same thing sometimes at the subclinical level. Somebody's jealous in a romantic relationship and they might look at like texting and they might say, well, this text is kind of emotionally related. So it indicates infidelity, but they'll ignore a large number of texts that have nothing to do with infidelity. So they'll take just that one piece of information that looks a little suspicious and kind of magnify it, put a lot of weight, a lot of value on that one bit of information. So with all this in mind, we see the pathological delusions and we see subclinical delusional ideation. How can we reason with somebody who's delusional? So first, it's important to remember here, if we're working with a true delusion, if somebody has a true delusion at the pathological level, is extremely difficult, if not impossible in some instances, to change their mind. Now, the reason I don't say impossible for every situation is I have been in situations where I've been able to change somebody's mind temporarily when they have a pathological delusion. Like there have been situations where I've been working with people and they say, you know, I think there are cameras planted throughout this office. I think looking at your like diplomas on the wall that there's a camera behind that. And I'll get up and take the diploma off the wall and say, well, you can see here, you know, take a look, right? And they say, oh, okay, I was wrong. But that might satisfy them temporarily, but if they really have pathological delusions, like again, stemming from a mental disorder, then often what I've seen is like the next time I would see them, again, they would believe there are cameras in the office. So you might be able to make some changes in the belief temporarily, but it's extremely difficult when the behavior is truly delusional. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. 
head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So in answering this question about how to reason with somebody who's delusional, I'm really going to be assuming that we're talking about subclinical delusional ideation and not pathological delusional ideation. So here's some thoughts on kind of reasoning with somebody who has a delusion. I'm going to use a particular delusion as an example for this. And and I've used this in prior videos, so some of you may recognize this. There's this delusion about the alien lizard people, where individuals believe that the government and Hollywood have been infiltrated by reptile humanoids. Now, I know this is more consistent with a pathological delusion, like one from schizophrenia or delusional disorder, but it's really one of my favorite delusions. So I'm going to go ahead and use it here as if it could be subclinical. And I guess technically it could be, right? I guess somebody could believe that there are alien lizard humanoids in Hollywood and in the government, and it not be a delusion that's really held at a strong level, right? So technically this could still work, but it is important to know that usually if somebody believes in alien lizard humanoids, I would, I would wonder if that would really be subclinical much of the time. Okay. Just something to point out. That's a, that's a, uh, a belief that deviates fairly strongly from the evidence that we have available about the nature of humans and, you know, how lizards could be living among us, alien lizards seems pretty unlikely. So I'm just going to use the alien lizard people though, for the example. So some tips here on how to talk to somebody, how to reason with somebody who believes in alien lizard people. Okay. So what we know is that it's important to intervene early when somebody is forming a belief that could be potentially delusional. There's actually evidence that supports this. If you get in there early before their belief fully forms, you'll have a lot better chance of convincing them that their belief is incorrect. Once that belief fully forms, it gets much more difficult. So it's not about just how to reason, it's about when to reason as well. If you see that somebody is starting to take on beliefs that are moving them toward like delusions, get in there early if you want to change their beliefs. Another piece here would be don't judge, right? Don't say somebody is not smart or has poor reasoning skills or has an ulterior motive, right? Judging is just not a successful strategy in trying to reason with people in general. So if somebody says, look, I believe in alien lizard people, don't have some sort of strong reaction, right? Just hear them out. This is my next tip, right? Just hear them out. Take the time and let somebody explain to you why they believe in alien lizard people or whatever the delusion is. And again, don't judge, just listen to it. It's not likely that somebody just explaining their beliefs is gonna make those beliefs dramatically stronger, right? There's not much risk of that happening. They're just trying to explain what their position is. And by you hearing them out, that actually kind of wins 
some credibility, that earns some credibility for you. And it shows that you're not just making a snap judgment. Like it shows that you're not rejecting the idea of the alien lizard people without thinking it through. So after intervening early and refraining any type of judging behavior and listening to them, then what you want to do is ask what evidence would change their mind. Okay, so you believe that there are alien lizard people. Okay, what evidence would change your mind? If you saw experts testify that there were no alien lizard people, if you could go up to the people that you thought were alien lizard people and talk to them, and again, kind of just see them in person, would that help? What evidence could change your mind? If they say nothing, that's really more indicative of a pathological delusion. Again, only a mental health clinician could determine this, but I'm just saying, if somebody says that nothing's going to change their mind, that's not a great sign in terms of reasoning with them. Also, if they say, well, yes, there's evidence that would change my mind, but you look at it and it's clearly impossible to obtain, right? So if somebody believes that the moon landing was faked and you say, okay, I doubt that's true, but what evidence would change your mind? What could you see that could make you believe that the moon landing was something that really happened? And they say, well, I want to go into NASA and I want to have access to all their computers, right? That's never going to happen. That's impossible to obtain. So again, not a great sign in terms of how well somebody could be reasoned with on that point. So my next thought here on how to reason in this situation would be to present your opinion, but in a flexible way that shows that you're not completely sure, right? So you're willing to believe that there are alien lizard people, but you're not convinced. And here's your opinion on the subject, right? So you're keeping that kind of small window open where, okay, I'm willing to look at your side of the story. I'm willing to look at the evidence, but here's what I believe based on the evidence. Try to avoid making it about how many people believe something. This is usually not very convincing for people who have subclinical delusional ideation, right? So if you say, well, 99% of people believe there are no alien lizard people. That's not really the best argument. I would focus more on actual evidence. Like, for example, if you did want some evidence that there were no alien lizard people, consider something, and this is just one bit. There's actually a lot of evidence, of course, that's not true. So consider this idea that car accidents happen all the time. And if the alien lizard people are a stable percent of the population, they're going to be involved in car accidents too. So if they're taken by ambulance to the hospital and they're x-rayed and they're treated, if they were really lizards, somebody would pick up on that, right? Physicians would say, gee, this physiology doesn't look human. So yes, you could make the argument, well, maybe alien lizard people are superior drivers and don't get involved in accidents, but even good drivers can be run into by another car, right? Even a good driver could be like a stop sign and just hit by another car. So alien lizard people aren't immune to what happens in traffic. So that could be just like one area of evidence that you could explore. So you'd present that without making it about how many people would also believe that, but just here's the evidence. Here's why I think there probably are no alien lizard people. Another key to reasoning here would be don't insert emotion. If you're really angry at somebody or even kind of a positive emotion, like if you're laughing at them for their belief, that's still emotion. That's like happiness. That's not a good idea if you're trying to reason with somebody. You're only going to make it seem like you're biased by the emotion. So it's better in this situation to be unemotional, just to be logical and lay out the evidence in a reasoned way. 
And this is the last kind of thought I have on reasoning with somebody who's delusional. And this is actually really, I think, good advice for negotiating or reasoning with anybody. Leave them a win, right? A lot of times what happens when we're talking to somebody is that we cause a situation where if we're right and they're wrong, then they look like they have lost, right? We haven't left them an opportunity to win. You have to leave people a win when trying to reason with them. So, for example, in this situation, you could say, look, you've really thought this through and you've had some interesting insight into this area and you've thought of things that didn't occur to me, right? Which kind of makes sense, right? If I didn't occur to you that there could be alien lizard people. This topic's important and I'm really curious to see where you come down on this issue after you looked at this other evidence. Like, for example, the evidence with the car accidents and how the lizard people would be discovered that way. So what you're really saying is, I believe you're insightful and you're smart. And now that you have new information, I'm excited to see how you're going to process that. And I'm excited to continue this dialogue. So now they could come back to you and say, you know what? I've been thinking about this. And I think that you made a good point with the car accidents. But I also found other evidence that supports this argument that there are no alien lizard people. So now really, you know, you just clearly left them a win. They could come back and be kind of excited to tell you that they've not only changed their mind, but they found other evidence that supports that point of view as well. So if you make it about winning and losing, very hard to change somebody's mind. This is, again, whether you're talking about delusions or somebody who's not delusional at all. It's actually a sign of flexible and logical thinking when somebody can have a strong opinion on a subject and then look at evidence and come to a different conclusion. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we want to encourage that. So that's kind of my last thought there for just ideas of how to reason with someone who's delusional. So as I talk about this topic, I know there's going to be a lot of different opinions. And I realize that delusional behavior, even at the subclinical level, can be very challenging to deal with. So again, I would just say that mental health clinicians are really best suited to deal with individuals who are struggling with delusions. And it's important not to get really too far into it if you see that somebody has kind of really strong symptoms, right? Leave that to the professionals. I know that sometimes that's really difficult because you might be in a romantic relationship with somebody who has delusions or has subclinical delusional ideation. So it's really hard to get away from them and you have to really find some way to relate to them, right? It can't always be in a clinician's office. They may receive treatment for delusions, but again, you have to live with them. You have to interact with them on a daily basis. So maybe these kind of ideas I had are something you can take to a mental health clinician. And you can see if these ideas make sense to that clinician in terms of reasoning to the person you're really thinking about, the person you're in a relationship with. So kind of a complex area and an area where we need to really consider the value of professionals and what they can bring to a situation. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Brightigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslonga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslonga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, 
including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslonga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.